Hello and welcome to the 108 podcast. I am Amanda. And I'm Raquel. And we are the Type 1 Together Girls. We are stripping down life with type 1 diabetes from two people who live different versions of it every single day. Please remember, Type 1 Together does not give medical advice. We are only sharing from personal experience. Yes. And we want, before we dive in, we want to give a special thanks to Vile Safe Insulin Protectors for supporting our show. Vialsafe is a company that was created by a diabetic for diabetes and solves the huge issue of accidentally breaking insulin vials. These reusable insulin vial covers make the vial so much easier to hold and it saves the expense, heartache, insurance nightmare, and smell of breaking an insulin vial. Yes, I especially love using mine for travel, and they have so many cute colors and designs now that make insulin vials or pens so much more fun. It's such a no-brainer product for me that I believe we all need in our lives, and you can now use code type one together 25 for 25% off at vialsafe.com. Yes. Okay, you guys have heard me talk about this before. These Vialsafe covers are absolutely critical for my toddler because... She wants to take part in her diabetes management. She wants to learn how to draw up insulin. And you hand a glass vial to a three-year-old who has little to no dexterity, that vial is breaking for sure. And so once I discovered this product, I have never looked back. All of our vials always have a vial safe cover on. And my three-year-old can practice drawing up insulin like the little badass that she is without breaking her life-saving medication. Yes. Yeah. I definitely have broken many insulin vials in my life and it's just the most depressing thing when it happens because obviously it's so expensive. And especially when I've been traveling and this has happened, it's just scary because you want to make sure you have enough supplies for your whole trip. So it's been such a lifesaver to use VialSafe for the last few years. And now that they have so many fun designs, it also just has become such a fun part of changing my site because I always change my cover too. Okay, so everyone, today is a very special episode. We have a guest, the one and only The Beaties, Neil Greathouse. Thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my gosh. You know, during the intro, when you guys were talking about VialSafe, I honestly thought, yeah, dropping a vial of insulin is dangerous and expensive, but have you dropped a three-year-old? Because that as well is very expensive and dangerous. Like, I have dropped some of my kids before when they're little. I started thinking about like, yeah, dropping insulin is terrible. But man, I've dropped a kid or two over my time. Yes. I'm, hello. Thanks for having me on here. I for sure dropped my kids. Yeah. You just said like a three-year-old with no little to no dexterity. I was like, that is that should be their, their byline, their tagline. Yes. You, right? Do you have to handle insulin? Do you have little to no dexterity? Vial safe. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what I use it for, though. Her little yeah. fingers. Yeah. It's, it makes total sense. I have dropped them and broken them. So, oh, yeah. yeah, those those vial safe containers. Also, um, not being paid to say this, I think they're amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good. Yay. Yeah. Hi, you too. Hello. Hello. Okay. Raquel, go ahead. Yeah. So Neil, tell us a little bit about yourself and also just your general philosophy on diabetes, because I think you have such a unique outlook in everything that you share online. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my name's Neil. I was diagnosed with type one when I was 19 years old, just a few short years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
I was diagnosed when I was in the Air Force, and I, I feel like everybody's diagnosis story has so many layers to it. Um, what I have realized over the years as trying to you know, educate people or talk about diabetes or help people or, or whatever, make ridiculous videos, make a <laughs> lot of ridiculous videos, is that I have had really bad days with diabetes. It's when they stack up and it becomes bad weeks and months of diabetes. So I, I have this mindset of the every day is day one and I kind of treat it like that. So th that, that is a bit of a double entendre because there's two sides to that. Every day is day one for me, because if I didn't have a good day today or things didn't go great, like tomorrow I get another shot at it. Now that can be mildly depressing. Like, <laughs> didn't, didn't do diabetes right today. Guess what? You get another shot at it tomorrow. <laughs> Yay. But, but it's also like, okay, I, I I can start over with this tomorrow and you're not, you're not done with it. But then also there are people out there who are being diagnosed or making the decision to actually say, okay, I'm going to take ownership of this, or I'm going to reach out to somebody in the community. And those are day one moments for them as well. So that every day is day one, even if it isn't for me, it is for somebody else. And so if I can help them in their day one, to make it where it's a little bit easier to understand. They feel a little bit more seen and heard or understood as opposed to, and honestly, I, I'm, I'm trying to think which one of you said this, but it was in a video where you said, it's like one thing for somebody to go, wow, that must be tough as opposed to, wow, I understand. Yeah. I, Amanda, I think it might've been you. Like it's so much more comforting for somebody to go, yeah, I get it. As opposed mm -hmm. to, wow, that sounds tough. So it's like to be there for somebody and go, yeah, I understand. Like, I get it, man. That's, uh, that's, that's crazy and tough, but yeah, I want to be there for other people's day one. And then I also know that if today wasn't great for me, I get another shot at it tomorrow, like yeah. it or not, I yeah. get another shot at it tomorrow. <laughs> I love that so much. That is, I feel like very similar and it's got threads of how Raquel and I operate too with diabetes. It's just... I mean, of course, you have your days where you might feel really down or you're just, you know, like the series you did that totally burned out, <clears throat> really needing a break from it. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, it's like you have a chance at living your life. And 100 years ago, people didn't. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm glad I'm glad for that. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not, I mean, seriously, seriously, like I get to eat, you know, like I don't have to try and starve myself and the odds of that all working out great weren't. Yeah. A hundred years ago, we didn't have this shot. Yes. It is so shot crazy to think about that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That hits me so randomly where I'll just realize like all the things that I get to do that would not have been possible not even that long ago. It's crazy. But that's kind of uh, what you were saying about the one or day one. It reminds me of like why I my personal diabetes Instagram handle is type one day, which sometimes I'm like, that probably makes no sense to anyone. But it's all about taking things one day at a time because that's really all it is. Every day with diabetes is so different. And I don't know, it's just, it's easier when you only try to think of what can I do today? And yesterday I actually like was really brave and I gave myself extra insulin in the morning because I keep having this silly coffee spike every time I drink coffee. And then okay. today, well, it worked yesterday really well. And I was like, yes, you got this now. Just keep doing that. And then today went up to 220 and I was like, well, 
there it goes. Yeah, that just shows it's like it's such a day to day thing. And whatever you did one day will not always work the next. So you might as well just, just take it one day at a time. I love it. So, uh, type one day, uh, we did a short film with Nick Jonas, um, probably six years ago. It's called type one day one. I don't even know oh, if you yeah. guys know about this. So type one day one, we made it because, so let me ask you this question. Have you seen the movie with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore called mm-hmm. uh, 50 first dates? Yes. Okay. It was based off of that principle because and I woke up in the middle of the night. I had this idea. I'm like, when people are diagnosed, they, they do what they immediately get on whatever social media or they get on Google and they're like, what is diabetes? And I thought, what if we could do that where we have a videotape and I know you don't know anything and yesterday you didn't have it, but today you do. And in 30 minutes, we're going to kind of explain, Hey, this is your life. But it was very much, um, it was crowdsourced. So beyond type one, um, helped make it. It was crowdsourced of people sending in encouragement and just going, Hey, listen, my name's so-and-so I've had type one for this long. You're going to be okay. It was that kind of a mentality. So I, awesome. I recognize that, Raquel, with your with your name. That always resonated with me. So I get it. So as far as your handle goes, I get it. Just want you to know. You got one. Thank you. Wait, can yeah. we watch that somewhere? Is that available? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Yeah, it's on YouTube. Type so one cool. day one. That's perfect. We'll watch it. Yes, we will watch it. Um, okay, we have so many questions from the community. We pulled the community to ask, just say, you know, to let them know, oh, we're having Neil on. Do you have questions? Because Neil, I have to say that honestly, (laughs) your videos early on made the puzzle pieces of diabetes all fall into place for me before I even like, before I even got into this line of work. Um, because the way you explain things and we, we've talked about this before we had a meeting with Neil. Um, the way you explain things is in such a way that anybody on the street can understand it. And that is so important. And I think a lot of people in life like almost forget that starting with super simple, basic concepts helps the average human then build on the more complicated theories but you have to understand the simple stuff first. So if right. you go into an explanation with like this thorough scientific convoluted, you know, explanation, then it's going to feel heavier and thicker and difficult to understand. And that's how I felt. Like even with my nursing yeah. background, that's how I felt getting through. It's a lot. All, yes. Getting through all this information and not only that, but all of the factors that come with, you know, having diabetes, the outside factors. And then on top of that, there's a whole other realm of toddler factors. So it really felt like I have no idea what's causing a high or low or keeping her in range. And then your videos and your explanation really did help. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I'm super excited to go through these questions from the community and see what yeah, you have to say about it. I cannot um, wait to hear okay. a bunch of questions that I don't have answers for. <laughs> I know. You guys, this is the best. This is the best Raquel and I realized like as we were pressing play that we probably should have been nicer to him and given him. Nah, it doesn't him. matter. 
these questions. People need to know at some point that Neil doesn't know what he's doing. And this no, is no. as good a time to find out as ever. <laughs> no, no, no. But this is almost better, I think. It's like sure. if you were just chatting with someone that you ran into at a coffee shop and then they were yeah. like, hey, I've got a list of questions. This is how you yeah. answer, right? I had somebody ask me yesterday on Instagram. They said, hey, when you're doing these new videos, could you please help explain like how is the insulin working in my body? Could you do that like in a 60 second video? And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, how am I going to show you that? Yeah, sure. Love to try that. Yes. Good luck. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Good luck is right. Um, okay. Let's start with the first question here. If you have a low and you treat it and then you start rising right away, do you then give insulin for those carbs? Oh, if you guys had been with me 20 minutes before we hit record on this, <laughs> I was talking with some of the nursing staff at the children's hospital here, the endo um, children's staff, because I, I was asking this very question wow. and I'm really thankful I did that phone call. Okay. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's really important to know. So there's, there's not an easy answer to this, but it's, it's more important to know why you are having the low to respond to it differently. So, and, and the reason why I say that is let's say that you're, you're having a low and you correct it with, uh, I don't, I don't want to act like we all do 15, 15, but let's say you give 15 carbs and you're waiting a little bit, but the low is not just because of activity or the low isn't for some other random reasons, it's because you took too much insulin. Well, if you're on a pump or if you took an injection, guess what, man, that insulin is in your system. That bolus is already there. There's only one way to stop it and that's eating something. So then how much do you eat? And then if you see it rising, you got to know what, do I still have insulin on board that is going to continue to work with that? Or do I need to now give insulin? So my first thought is if you're on a closed loop system, or if you're using control IQ or Omnipod or whatever, at some point I say, put those numbers in for the carbs you actually ate and see what that pump suggests. Most of the time, it's going to be right. But if you feel like it isn't, trust your body, trust your history of it. But don't like, we're not on a, a roller coaster ride and we have no choice. We're strapped in and we can't get out. Like, you can make a choice. You're like, well, I can give insulin, not. I say try the pump first because the pump can only, it can only give you suggestions based off of three things. You've got how much insulin you took, how much food you ate, and what is the third? Is there a third? There's a third. <laughs> Literally just talking about this. How much food you ate, how much insulin you took. Is um, it current basil? Yeah. It's like, what do you have going on in the background? Like there's no other information it knows. It knows what your blood sugar is, yeah. how much food you ate and how much insulin. That's it. Yeah. So it's going to do some of that suggestive math. I would start there, but then just be aware of why are you low? And yeah. then if you are starting to go back up because you ate something, Ask yourself, do I still have insulin that's that's at work, you know, in there before I say, oh no, because then you could be stacking. Mm -hmm. You could be like, I already have insulin on board, but now do I need to take more? Eh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have had to learn to treat lows very differently ever since getting on a closed loop system, and that's still something that I forget. So if you have a child who maybe they're only they've only ever been on Omnipod 
five or tandem control IQ, then maybe, you know, it's, it doesn't apply, but your pump has been suspending now when you're dropping. And so now you don't need as much food to actually treat the low. And so if you're still treating with the same amount as you were when you were on MDI or on a manual mode pump, then you're going to end up a lot higher. And that's something that I think we don't talk about enough. It really does change the game there. It does. Yes. I think if you're going to be on MDI, I think some of those smart pens are a really good idea because it at least is tracking. So the only thing worse than no data is bad data. Mm -hmm. Like eating 50 carbs and putting 10 in that pump is like, why are you lying to me? Like, come on, bro. Like, I know this is, not, you know what I mean? Like it knows those things, but like, it's either don't put it in or do put it in, but just put the right amount in. So, you know, like just track it. It's yeah. not bad carbs. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter. You ate 50 carbs. So what you overcorrected. So what, but at least make sure you have a real number and don't lie to yourself and go, but I only had 10. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I will say with this, it's, it can become extra challenging with the toddlers because, or not even the toddlers, just kids in general, I guess, because you have to anticipate what you think they're going to consume. And then you're constantly battling that on top of it. So what I do, this is not medical advice, (laughs) (laughs) is I will give extra insulin after treating a low if I see my daughter climbing by more than 10 blood sugar points every five minutes once she's above about 120 or 130. So let's say I correct her and then she gets up to 120, 130, and then suddenly she's going 150. 170, then I'm going to give extra insulin because I know from history and just from, you know, her having it for over a year and a half that the whatever insulin might be on board from the Omnipod 5 is not going to catch that huge of a rise. Right. Um, And that's something I'm trying to streamline because that's so challenging. Like she definitely gets eat the kitchen lows. And I'm not going to deny a three-year-old food when she's starving. And then it's just a game of catch up. And it's one of those things where I personally would rather give the insulin to catch it before it hits 250 or 300. And then if I've accidentally given too much, once I see her dropping before she's actually low, I will give like, here's an M&M. Here's one gummy. Here's a quarter of the juice box because I drank three quarters of it first, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And then you can catch, or at least for me, then I catch her right where I want her. And it's easier to keep her flat at that point instead of just a constant back and forth. Okay. I'm so curious, Neil, if you've done this too, and definitely not medical advice. This is very just honest, but I've gotten to the point where if I'm having one of those middle of the night, eat everything lows and there's nothing I can do to stop it. I know that I've already eaten way too many carbs. Like I will give insulin when I'm in the sixties or even the fifties sometimes, because I know that I've already overshot it. And obviously it's different because I can feel it in my body, but have you done that before too? Yeah. Because you, you deep down, it's almost like, I don't want to lie to myself. Like I know I just ate 
like how how did I eat an entire box of Little Debbie's? Like, <laughs> yes. And the Christmas trees aren't even out yet. How, where did I get these from? How did these Christmas trees even get here? And it's just wrappers everywhere. Like, you know, you did it. So you might as well be honest with yourself and go, okay, this is going to kick in now. So what I only do with that is I only do it if I know I haven't just corrected the low, but I overate. Exactly. It's almost like a weird accountability. Like, yeah. I I know I, I went hard in the paint. I know I went too far and I probably fouled somebody in the game, but I, okay, now I got to own it, you know? Yeah. I, I think like that. Hilarious. Awesome. Love it. All right, Raquel, you want to ask the next question? Yeah. Okay. Do you know why sometimes this person was asking about their toddler specifically, who is three? Um, sometimes in soccer, they'll spike to 250 from 130 and other classes, they'll go straight down. I think I know why, but I'm curious your answer on this. Ooh, why? Do you know why? I think adrenaline plays a huge role, especially in sports and in games versus practice too. Yeah. The, the, there's stress and pressure from games. It's game time, baby. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like you're, you're, you're into it. And I totally get that. Um, I think there's also sometimes when the pressure is up, we tend to play harder than what we normally would in practice. And so some of that lactic acid that is there gets converted over into glucose. Oh. So you, it, <gasps> it, it, it is like, okay, so you look at um, anaerobic exercise, crossfitters, weightlifters, sprinters, all those types of things, those activities, that lactic acid gets converted over. So it's like, okay, now we're, now we're, it's, it's stored glucose that, that has changed. And then you add adrenaline to it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a That's lot. Fascinating. I had no idea. But if you're just swimming, you know, or if they're just um, if, swimming in the summer to typically tank, um, yes. because they're just the activity, the, the, you know, the paddling, the swimming, the whatever, all that kind of stuff, or a walk. That's why a walk is typically going to bring you down because you're not taxing your muscles to the point where lactic acid is being converted. So right. it's not stressful. I'm curious though, because she's saying her three-year-old. So the, <laughs> the chances of this three-year-old <laughs> working out so hard that they're building up lactic acid is likely minimal, but that is a fascinating point for our listeners who one have diabetes themselves and they're older or those who have yeah. like teenagers. Um, I'm curious if it has something more to do with one time of day, like, because I've dealt with this with my daughter playing soccer before too. She naturally starts to spike between 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. And I don't really know why. <laughs> like, I'm not sure what it is, but the pump has slowly figured out how to keep her from going too high. Um, so I wonder if it's time of day. And the other thing is, like, I always prepare for activity like that by giving her a snack leading up to it. And over time, I realized the timing of that snack is vital. And then the basal or the background insulin that is currently, you know, in her body is also vital. So it would be like some days she had zero or 0 0.05 units of insulin on board. And other days she would have one unit of insulin on board, but then I'm giving the same amount of carbs for a snack right before the soccer practice and they're three. So sometimes they sit and pick flowers and other times they sprint around the field 500 times. 
You're right. Yeah. And if adults did that, we would have the same, like we'd be all over the place. Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's very unpredictable. Just like even what you said, like, are you going to eat, how much are you going to eat for the low? How much are you not going to eat for the low? It's very, it can be very unpredictable. But you're right. Yeah. Snack time of day, insulin sensitivity changes, all that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wouldn't it be great if there was just one simple answer for this? It sure would be. <laughs> yeah. For everything. Oh gosh. <laughs> So much maybe, better. Maybe I wouldn't have had a full-blown panic attack three months into my daughter's diagnosis oh. if there were simple answers to diabetes. Yeah, simple answers. Who knew? Uh, okay. Um, this next question says, how long after your diagnosis, Neil, did it all start to click for you? Ooh, it was a long time. Oh, so, really? I, yeah, it was seven years of no clicking. <laughs> Whoa. So it was, uh, what it was is my stage of life. Um, I was in an aviation career and that came abruptly to a halt after mm -hmm. about four months, sorry, four years, seven months of training all of a sudden to be, um, told that that is not going to be your career anymore. That is going to change. I dealt with denial. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it ended up being, it's a combination of, I didn't have a lot of education. I didn't have a lot of understanding of what type one was, but I also didn't know anyone who had it, didn't really want to um, think about the long-term consequences of my decisions. I'm 19, I'm 20, I'm 21, I'm 22. I'm unstoppable. Mm -hmm. Nothing can, oh, you think I got diabetes? Let me show you. So I was, it was like, it was this, no vial safe, first of all, no vial safe <laughs> protector. I was just yeah. winging it. So I'm out there, I was just drawing out whatever amount of insulin I want, stick it in your leg through your genes and just go eat whatever you want. So at some point, you know, I, um, I got married, started a family and you realize my poor decisions are affecting other people. <laughs> yeah. And I have, I have a responsibility. That was when I decided, all right, I've got to change this. Cause I had a couple of really scary lows. I came home from work. I was a, a COO at a corporation and we had a new building that we were opening up and I went very, very low while I was on the job, but drove home. Without treating? So, well, treated, but you don't know how much. I don't know what. So what I remember is that you're asking me now, that was years ago, but also I also have very foggy memory of what happened. So, um, my wife came downstairs and found me and I'm there at the refrigerator, the freezer and the refrigerator doors are open and there's just wrappers everywhere. So I'm just eating. We joke around about eating. There's a kitchen sink. I just open up the fridge and eat whatever. I don't even remember what I ate, but it was the middle of the night. The, the screen door was closed on our front door to the house, but the front door is open middle of the night and my car is parked diagonally at an angle with a car door still open. <gasps> and I don't remember any of that. Oh, I want to cry. So at some point you go, okay. And it was scary. Like, you, you know, like yes. now, now I'm going, okay, Gina's there and she's saying, are you okay? What happened? And, I, and I'm going, I don't know. I don't oh. really remember what happened. She's like, what did you eat? I, all of it. I think, I don't know. <laughs> I just have wrappers left over and it's scary. Not because I was scared. I saw the fear in her eyes Yeah, of like, oh boy. So that, that was, it was a series of moments like that where I realized you're, uh, what is that? What is that Rocky 
line. Like I, I kept writing checks that my body couldn't cash mm-hmm. and I was, it was bad. I knew it. Mm-hmm. So then I, I took ownership of it. So seven long years, we call those the dark years. Yeah. Seven dark years. <laughs> yeah. Did you, um, first of all, do you have any idea what your number was, what your blood sugar was when you were low like that? No, no. Okay. What would your no, guess no. be based oh, on? Oh, I was under 40 for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Under 40 for sure. Ate a couple things out of a vending machine and then drove home. Okay. I remember, no, I take it back. Ate a bunch of things out of a vending machine, sitting down on on a, a tile floor at this this building that we had we were in the middle of construction on and just sat there for a while going, well, if I'm going to die here, like this is embarrassing. This is so <sighs> weird. So then eventually, you know, you get up and drive home. So yeah, I don't, I don't remember how low it was, but it was bad. I know that. I want to cry. (laughs) Yeah. I just can't. This is scary. That's so scary. scary. Don't do that kids. Do not do that. Yes. Don't do that. Okay. So seven years and like, did you, how do I want to ask what I want to ask? Once you decided to take ownership, was there like all this new information that you <laughs> didn't realize you didn't know that you were learning? Yes, it was all available to me, I think, but uh-huh. I I didn't I didn't uh, read it. I didn't research it. I just tried to stay away from it. So all of a sudden you go, okay, yeah, there's some JDRF meetings. There are some resources. There's some things online I can get. I can start talking to my doctors now. And I'm sure they were thankful like, oh, okay, there he is. He woke up, mm-hmm. but it was that it was all right. Now I'm going to start doing just a lot of research. And I, I do tend to be that way. Once I make a decision, I'll research it. I'm the guy who reads the instruction manual and yeah. does a bunch of, I want to watch some videos and, and do all this kind of stuff. So yeah, that I just, I dove head in, head over heels into it and really just started to go, okay, like what have I not been doing right? Yeah. And then, and then switch doctors at some point, realize mm-hmm. that the direction that I was going, well, no, that's not true. So I had, I had a doctor through the VA and I realized they could only do so much. They kind of were up against a system. So mm. we went out and got a private endo that I went through and researched which ones, met with them one time and interviewed them, which is, I would say, do this. I know it seems to take a lot of time and energy, but when you're trying to find an endo, I went around and instead of them testing me, I was testing them. I'm asking questions like, all right, so what is your philosophy on this? Are you going to be okay if I want to try these things out? What is this? What is that? And I met with a couple of them and then found one. And I knew that she was the right one when when we were in the middle of, of talking. Can I ask? Oh, sorry. Oh, go do, ahead you, go. do you find that your endo right now is helpful and still helps you? So I have two endos. Huh. Because I still have a VA endo. This, you're gonna, th- this is going to be fascinating for you guys. Um, Wow. Okay. So I go to the VA because I was diagnosed when I was in the military mm-hmm. and that is that they basically helped me with supplies. But what I also noticed is, so my endo is, um, he, Oh, okay. This is more information what you want to know, but he <laughs> comes over to the VA from another hospital in town and he does it once a month from 9am to noon on the third Wednesday of the month to help pump patients. So I have one shot a month. So unfortunately I canceled my endo appointment that was in August because I had a conflict. No, 
I canceled it for June and they rescheduled me for October. <laughs> oh yeah. Classic. So, so there's that, but my private endo is the same endocrinologist. Oh. I see him at his private practice because in the confines and structure of the VA, he has limits because of the supplies that they have, the pumps that they have, the pump therapy that they're allowed to prescribe. But he is, he has type one himself. He's very active. He's a marathon runner. The day I last saw him, he just got done doing a marathon the day before and was tracking everything with his Dexcom and his pump. And he's, he's in it. And so I go see him over at that office because I know he can do things there that he can't do at the other office. Interesting. I'm paying once, one and a half times for two times. It's so funny. So He's interesting. A good guy. Okay. That's awesome. I love the, the fact that he has type one himself. I feel like that group of endocrinologists that have type one themselves are a different breed. They are. It's rare. And for some reason I can look in his eyes and know that he gets it. And I mm -hmm. also can't pull the wool over his, mm -hmm. I need somebody who I know I can't bamboozle. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. He's, he's not looking at me trying to uh, fake it. Like he, he can't fake it either. Love that. Very interesting. <laughs> okay. Raquel, next question from the, from the people. Yeah. Um, I love this one. What part of diabetes still makes no sense to you? Oh, <laughs> you know, um, there's, there's one that it kind of makes sense, but I sometimes just don't know when it's going to hit. And that is, so Dawn phenomenon, I get it. I understand physiologically what's happening. But I have noticed a few things like, um, and, and I'm, I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to stand up here and campaign for low carb or no carb or high carb or fruit based or plant based or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's, there's people that only eat meat, whatever, whatever works for you do that. Just mm -hmm. count the carbs because they all count. Mm -hmm. What I have noticed is if the day before I don't eat late and it is lower in carbohydrates, Dawn phenomenon almost never happens. Hmm. But if I, and this is me like mm -hmm. looking at this because it really drives me crazy and still bu bugs me. Cause I like, why did it hit that day? But it didn't. So the higher carb meals that I have, or if I eat later, I guarantee you between two and four, those blood sugars start to rise for me. But so if I, if, if I want to move those needles around those gauges around, it's just, do I need to eat earlier? Do I just need to change the, the carbohydrates or I go into it and I say, all right, I know that I had a higher carb meal. I know then that I need to change my temp basal, but my gosh, that's risky, but okay. It's like, okay, I've got two different patterns, two different profiles set up. One for if I ate a late dinner with a lot of carbs and one for if I didn't trying to figure that out is like. I don't know. It's like wizardry. I'm like, get, hire me a witch to come figure this out because I cannot figure it out. <laughs> I can't oh get God. it. <laughs> That's so funny. That's very interesting. And it's, I, you know, we could have like 10 other type one diabetics on the podcast and ask if they've had a similar experience and everyone's going to say something different. Right. Yeah. That's what's so frustrating about it. Yep. 
Yeah, that that bugs me. That bugs me that there's no easy answers. Yes. Okay. That was very, very interesting. Um, Okay. So this next one says, if a child builds up scar tissue, is that site's absorption ability forever compromised? I think about this a lot because my girl would do thighs only for everything if I let her. And we're working really hard on pausing, but it freaks me out because they're so, they're just so full of scars and marks and bumps and right. I don't know. Well, and they're so little. Yeah. They don't have as much acreage to work with. Yeah. Um, there's not as much real estate acreage. That's a weird thing <laughs> to say. I'm so sorry. Um, so it depends on the severity of the scar tissue. The scar tissue can be recovered, but it takes time. Like three to four months, I think, is the is the the number of just let it rest. Give okay. it a break for three months. Don't go around it. Give it four inches on either side of wherever that scar tissue is and let it recover. Uh, the longer we go with continuing to inject around or, or put a pod on or a CGM, like my, my arms are shot people like my <laughs> abdomen. No, I take it back. I take it back. My abdomen is shot. I'm like, <laughs> where am I gonna, you know what I mean? Like you start running out of space. So site rotation is important earlier on and genuinely trying to move it away. But if there's an area where there's scar tissue, I think just give it a rest for three to four months is, is the, that's the, the science that I see, but I think it also depends on the severity of the scar tissue. Yeah. Go ahead, so Raquel. if you're like using pump sites in your stomach and hips, like you're kind of rotating every time, right? So every few days you're switching it around, the scar tissue is still going to build over time, right? Or is it really just if you're using the same spot over and over? Yeah, it's going to build. It, it will build. It doesn't build at the same rate. As if you yeah. keep using, so th- there are, there are, I don't know if you've seen those drawings of like the outline of a human and then where you rotate the sites around. The problem is we have more devices now. We're not just doing little tiny MDI injections. We're, mm-hmm. we're putting CGMs in. Like I, I look at scar tissue from a CGM is similar to the scar tissue from a pump site. Why? Because you've got this thing inside of you. Mm-hmm. Um, the site rotation maps that they make are really important don't just rotate from if you can i understand toddlers you know they yeah. don't want so so this side of the stomach to that side of the stomach and then 3 days later you're back to this side of the stomach if you could add two more sites in there that you can get round robin mm-hmm. you're giving that that time you know you're giving it 12 days to yeah. to rest as opposed to 3 days so i have been using my stomach I had the opposite problem. I like shots in my legs, but then when I got on a pump when I was like eight or nine, I really only wanted to do my stomach. And then I would go to the endo. They'd always tell me like, you need to rotate. So I started doing my hips, but that's really all I've used honestly for years and years. And so I like a month ago was like, okay, it's time to give your stomach a break. Like I challenged myself to do only leg sites for a month. And so I've been, because I never use my legs. (laughs) So I've been switching between my legs and First of all, they get very irritated. I'm using true steel, so it is like a steel cannula, but it's like I take it out and it usually bleeds and there's some bruising and it's just more irritation than I ever saw in my stomach. Um, But now I'm thinking I need to extend this challenge 
for quite a lot longer and use other areas. But I love my T-Slim so much, but I really don't want to use my arms, even though everyone says I should try because the tubing just feels really annoying attached to my arm. Uh, I don't know, but this is very interesting. I'm not really sure what I should do. <laughs> that that um, the, the 43-inch cannulas are really important if you're going to use the ones for the arms. They come in 23-inch and 40. You, if you don't get the, it's not enough tubing to get enough slack. The other thing is too, is I tell my wife and my daughters this and they, they laugh. Having that sight in my arm feels like I've got a hair on my arm that I'm like, what, the, what is that? What, what is that? What is that? And they're like, now, you know, now you get a taste of what it's like to have long hair. It yes. does. It can be a little bit irritating. Mm. Um, I did the same thing. Raquel did the same thing. I'm, I'm just going to stop my abdomen for a while. So it's arms legs. I've tried hip, like back of the hip, but I, I, if I'm sitting in a chair, I'm like up against it and it bothers me. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the legs and the back of the arms right now. I'm in that four quadrant trying okay. to rotate through them. Ugh, it's so tough. <laughs> it is hard. Okay, I'm going to try to extend it, but honestly, I was really excited because I only have like seven more days of this challenge that I put on myself. And I was like, <laughs> I can't wait to get back to my stomach, but now I'm like, Oh, I should not. <laughs> Gosh, Raquel, I need you to come down here and convince Hattie to try putting her sights on her stomach. She had like two painful, like a oh. Dexcom that was painful. And then um, the Omnipod was painful. And she literally says to me, I don't like my stomach, mama. You know that it hurts. <laughs> they hurt. Just like, it's uh, traumatic. It hurts. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. And she's just so, I mean, I'm who knows how many pokes she's endured at this point now, but she really can tell when they don't hurt and the clicking freaks her out. So she'll go, ah, and then she'll go, ah, didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. <laughs> uh, I don't blame her. When, when kids say. see somebody else that has one in a different location, that's everything. Yes. Like, hmm. But you can't tell them. You cannot no. convince them that it will be. They got to see it for themselves. <laughs> yes, especially yeah. my little girl. She is, she is fire. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, what's the next one? Or Raquel, do you have one that you want to ask? Um, probably just one or two more. I think. Hmm. Let's see. Um, well, this is a simple one. But what's your favorite low snack as an adult? Oh, so my, my, my low snack and like my go-to right now is those sun-kissed fruit chews. And, and there's mm -hmm. a reason for it. Not because I love the, well, the yellow ones. I really, <laughs> really like the yellow ones. And my kids would be like, dad, can I have one of those? I'm like, I don't mind if you have one, just don't eat the yellow ones. <laughs> um, and the reason for it is different is because they're individually wrapped. And I know that that's eight carbs. So if I'm out exercising or I'm on a hike or I'm trail running or whatever, I know three of those will almost always is more than enough, but I could eat them one at a time. Uh, I tried something cause I did a diabetes camp with a bunch of kids and they loved the airheads. They were like super into them. Oh. Like, I'll try that. And my wife got me a bunch of them and it's too difficult to chew. Like I, I'm, I'm like, what am I eating? I'm eating candle wax. What is this? I, I don't. <laughs> It's, it's something is off with it. So that, that's, um, my wife is, has been getting grapes lately. Cause I just don't mm -hmm. eat a ton of fruit, but man, grapes, like if they're crispy, yeah, oh, yeah. man. And she just got some clementines the other day. That sounds like great. I mean, don't get me wrong. 
I want to go for a lot of other things, but in my mind, I have to separate it out. Like, Hey, this is a low snack or a recovery, not a treat because then Mm -hmm. psychologically I'm like going low isn't bad because little Debbie is here to save Mm -hmm. the day. And I gotta be, Hey, what is up with me and little Debbie? I don't know. (laughs) She's a temptress uh, is what it is, but it's like that. It's like, this isn't a, this is an excuse or a, a treat, but it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. So I try and keep it more in the these are the things that I go to. So it's yeah. not a question of what I need in that moment. I don't have to make a lot of decisions. It's just, these are my tried and true. Yeah. I love that. We, we use fruit a lot, not for like the severe lows or the really fast crashing lows. That's, I always go for like juice or gummies or whatever, but if she's kind of creeping down or if I'm noticing that she's dropping by 15 or 20 every five minutes and I've caught it right around 100, then I love using blueberries. Yeah. So high in sugar. And it's like, here's a bunch of antioxidants and a healthy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and a healthy snack, you know, and I've saved that low before it got too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Costco has those, um, those Mott's fruit snacks. My wife just got, I don't know, it's like a a 55 gallon drum of, there's like more fruit snacks than I'll ever need. But as a grown adult, it is a little weird to see me in like a meeting with a bunch of people and I'm over there eating fruit snacks. You're like, what are you in fourth grade? Yeah, man, get over it. It's nothing like a juice box though. I was in a cycling class the other day and pulled out my big juice box because juice is just easy right now. Like I'm so tired of actually having to eat things sometimes. It's tiring. I don't want to eat something. What about like Gatorade? Do you ever, or like a sports drink like that when you're working out? I I don't know. Um, I don't know why. I I don't feel like for some reason, um, like somebody offered me a Coke the other day. I was like, ah. I don't know. It seems like it's way too concentrated. I don't know why. Juice, for some reason, yes. Gatorade, no. I don't know why. I don't know what my problem is there. I agree. I don't know why, I don't know why either. Well, I think I try to just, I've realized how much food I have to eat just for being low over the years, right? And it's like, if I can get something that is 100% natural, you know, natural, just apple juice or whatever, like I'll try to get when I can. There's definitely days where I have cookies at home and I'm like, I'm just going to yep. eat that. But I don't know. With the Gatorade, it has a lot of other stuff in it too. So sometimes I'm just yeah. not feeling it. Yeah, I've thought about it a couple times just, you know, as I picture my daughter growing up and what her life's going to look like. And I played competitive soccer most of my life. And I was thinking, I think about it a lot. Like, what would I have done if I had type one? I thought that I would always have Gatorade and water at soccer games. So anytime I subbed out, I would like chug Gatorade and water, you know, because I always had it a Gatorade, even if it was a small one anyway, just for the electrolyte replenishment. Do you know Jordan Morris, the soccer player? Uh, no. He no. plays for the Seattle uh, Sounders for oh, okay. uh, Major League, for MLS, and he's got type 1. He has his own foundation and his own type 1 diabetic um, soccer camps for kids. <gasps> really? Oh, yeah. That's amazing. Oh, to share that with the community. That's we really cool. Do. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Morris. He's amazing. He's oh going gosh. to be in the uh, the Breaking Limits documentary that we're working on as well. Amazing. Um, our, our crew, Dylan Leonard and a bunch of camera guys, uh, just went up there and filmed him for his game this past week and spent four days with him at his camp for his foundation and um, on the sidelines during the game. He's, he's a stud. I love that. I love that so much. I bet a lot of our listeners are going to immediately be searching him. 
because I feel like yeah. soccer is just such a classic sport you play as yeah. a kid, you know? Yep. Um, okay. I think we've got time for one more question and it's kind of a big one, but it's important. So can you explain why you are quote unquote safe or more safe, I guess, from going into DKA when you're on long acting versus if you're on just pump therapy and you only use short acting. Like I, the way I read that and my two cents of that question is like when we were on MDIs and I would call in and be like, she was high all night. I'm really anxious. Like she's between 200 and 350 all night. And there was one time where a nurse said, well, don't worry about it. She's got her Lantis on board. And I was like, I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not good enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. so that was probably frustrating in that moment because you're mm -hmm. like, that's not stopping these highs. What, what are, so obviously you check for ketones. Yes, that's a thing. So DKA is very difficult to, to have occur if insulin is present. Okay. So it, um, ketones and high blood sugars, those two things are like dangerous, but they're only dangerous in the absence of insulin. If you take insulin out of the picture, deadly. But if insulin is there, uh, not as bad because insulin is the counteracting agent to the whole thing. So long acting as a, an injection at one point during the day, if you're, you know, you're taking Lantus or whatever, that insulin is still in the background kicking around, keeping you from tipping over into DKA. With an insulin pump, because there is no long-acting insulin, there's just your basal rate, if that cannula gets kinked or if you don't get that insulin, your reaction or response time to DKA can be higher because you have nothing in the background. There is okay. no insulin. This makes sense. Remember, Amanda, friends for life. Like I had a moment where I guess I was using an insulin bottle that was just bad. I had opened a new one. And within three hours, I felt so sick. And I've had ketones many times, but this was like in bed, like couldn't go to anything. Like everyone's like, what's going on? And I just wasn't getting any insulin at all. And it happened so fast. Yeah. Yeah. It it's was quick. really scary. Yeah. So I've had an experience not where like my girl has gone into DK, but where like, okay, so basically we have a family friend who's a type 1 diabetic and I had talked to her a few times early in my daughter's diagnosis and she, like, I went to her for guidance because anytime I went to, unfortunately, like my daughter's endo's office, I never got the guidance I needed. Okay. And so I would call her and I was like, hey, her, she just fell asleep and her blood sugar's went from 180. She's up to 300. And this girl was like, oh, go give her an extra injection of fast acting. You don't want her to go into DKA. And that was right after the nurse had told me she's not going to go into DKA. She has Lantus on board. And the, the mm. reason like this all was happening within the same phone call, this girl that I knew who's been on a pump for forever, she like just the month before had gone into DKA overnight because she like slept through her high alarms or something. And um, I think her 
like sight had gotten ripped out or something while yep. she was sleeping. And so her son had actually found her. Um, oh, passed wow. Out. Yeah. And so Ooh. like she shared that story with me. I wasn't getting super clear information yeah. as to like why my daughter was safe or not safe. And yep. and then I like got into this habit when we were still in MDIs of anytime she sat over 250 for like longer than three hours, I would go in and give her an injection through her pajamas of like wow. a unit. Yeah. Or just to get it in there. Units. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that long acting insulin is there in the background and it's there as like, um, it's like, um, an emergency backup system. You know, it's like your generator. If the power goes out, this is still there and active. The, the key is check for ketones. Like that's mm -hmm. your first thing, like check for ketones. That's the thing. Can you have high blood sugars and ketones and not be in DKA? Yes. You can, as long as insulin is there working on that. So I, I went into, let's see, this is probably eight years ago, seven years ago or so. I went into DKA because of stubbornness. Like I was just, you know, I was just a knucklehead. I, my pump was not giving me the insulin that I thought. I'm trying to make sure I don't waste a site and a, an entire pump. So I'm like, uh, I'm going to push through this. And in a day and a half, it wasn't just that I was high and it wasn't just that I had ketones, but for a day and a half, I wasn't getting a drop of insulin. Oh. And that's why I went into DK. Ended up spending yeah. three days in the hospital because I just didn't have any insulin going. So there's a couple ways to handle that. One, definitely get fluids and some electrolytes. Yes, but get insulin in there somehow. If you're on MDI, that's that's one of the best things is is that long acting. But then, yeah, take a unit. Take a little bit so that it's in there and it'll, it'll curb it for sure. Yeah. Okay. One last like question, just from a parent's perspective and having all these stories, you know, talking to other parents, I know that there was another friend of mine whose daughter was two and she was diagnosed as well. And they sent her home on only a half unit of Lantus and the blood sugars were consistently over like three or 400 all night long for like weeks is at, at what point is not enough Lantus going to lead to DKA or do you just, if you have Lantus in your system, do you just not go into DKA? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that depends on the size of the person. Okay. Depending on whether or not are they in a honeymoon stage? What if they, there's so many variables that go into that. Um, that doesn't sound like a lot of insulin. You're like, no. it's kind of like the deck is stacked against you. Like, you know, it's like you picked a fight with the biggest kid at school Yeah. and there's no, you know, how are we going to do this? That is difficult to say that that wasn't enough, but that doesn't sound like it's, I mean, think about it. Like it's just there in the, it's like a, it's a best supporting actor. Yeah. It's not your, your lead actor or actress. It there in the background um, it's not enough to win the fight with that, but I, yeah. I also think you would need more than a half a unit yeah. of Lantus. Yes, for sure. And it's, yeah, definitely one of those things as a parent, it's really frustrating when you are living this and you can see it and then you call into the endo's office, especially <laughs> fresh after a diagnosis. And you're like, this doesn't feel right. I know I don't know right. anything, but something's not right. And then you're met with, well, give it two, three, four, five more days before we make Ooh. a decision. And it just, I, I remember talking to this friend and being like, 
You don't have to listen to my advice. I am obviously not like an endocrinologist, but for reference, when my two-year-old was sent home from the hospital, she was on six units of Lantus. Granted, that was too much. It became too much over time once her body got used to having insulin again. Right. But like a half unit and six, that's huge difference. Yeah. And so I don't know. I just, I like to put all this stuff out there for any of our listeners who are scratching their heads going, something doesn't feel right. Just offering tons of food for thought and encouraging yeah. you to listen to your parent gut. Yep. Yeah. And, and I, <clears throat> I think if you could approach it like an experiment, a lot of times we want the answer, the final answer right then in that moment, because we're so nervous, we're so stressed. But okay, if a half unit doesn't seem like enough, try a whole unit, try a measurement above that is closer to what you think and write down what the reaction and response is. I'm not saying give five units. I'm saying go from a half unit to a unit. If that yeah. didn't do too bad, then try another. But I, I will say this in defense of, but also for understanding of endocrinology offices and doctors, they are going to tend to bring you either direction up or down in increments. But what they're ultimately trying to avoid is a load that puts you in the hospital yes. now. They're trying to not get there. So they're, of course, going to eke you on the other side of it. That's why they're saying a half unit as opposed to let's start her off on three or four. You don't know if her pancreas is still working in the background. You're not really sure and you don't want to over prescribe. And they're going, give it five more days. You're going, that doesn't seem right. Well, yeah. okay. Then takes a little bit of ownership and go, okay, half unit more. Let's see what yeah. happens. Yes. And that's what we ended up doing. But it took weeks of, yeah. A, yeah. of daily phone calls and being shut down every day and still having to call and then receiving irritated tones on the other end where it's like, okay, then offer me something else. So I don't have to call you for the 40 blood sugar and the 400 blood sugar. Like, yeah, obviously waiting five days isn't doing it. Yeah. (laughs) It's such a tricky space to be in because you're the parent you're there with the kid and you're dealing with it. And then they're on the other side of it. They get a lot of phone calls like this. Yes. People that are alarming to the, the other side of where like, come on, like, it's too much as opposed to a genuinely scared and concerned parent who's on the front. Like they don't know this is all brand new to them. Yeah, They're trying to figure that out. So I will say this. I have heard both types of responses. Endocrinologist offices who say, listen, don't call if you're not here, here or here. And I've heard other ones that say, call any time of day. It doesn't matter. That's what we're here for. I would say try and find those doctor's offices because those are the ones who know like, hey, we're not going to be this high maintenance forever, but we do need somebody to hold our hand for a little bit. And are you okay with me calling four times today? Cause I'm terrified. Yeah. 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 Fine. Agreed. I love that. That's the perfect sign off. Um, <laughs> thank you so much. Those were fantastic answers. Thank you. Those are good questions. I like They're, those. They are going to help so many families. Um, fortunately, more and more newly diagnosed families are finding type one together and this podcast. Right. And so the hope is we just drop little bits of golden nuggets of info. <laughs> So yes. that they can get to a place of, you know, understanding faster. Um, Neil, we do a blood sugar roll call at the end oh, of each episode. Oh, 
oh, you're going to do this <laughs> yes. to me. You're going to do it to me. Yeah. I, just, I just got mine. Okay. It's not as bad as what it was. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm 158. So I, my, my Dexcom just came back on five minutes before we started this one. And the jump, the two hour jump yes. is always the most difficult. And to be fair, I haven't done this in a year. My Dexcom uh, expires so many times late at night. Uh, and I'm like, I'm tired of the alarms going into the night and then, and then having to get up to do it. So I just said, I'm going to wait until about 9 a.m. to set it so I can reset the when it actually starts. So yes. last night I didn't have one on and it felt super weird. I bet it did. 158. It did. 158. Love it. Raquel, what's yours? I am 171. Coming down from that spike okay. I mentioned. Good for you. <laughs> spike. Um, Hattie is 111 at preschool. They're crushing Come it. Come on, Hattie. That's awesome. I know. They're, <laughs> her. they're picking up on it quickly. They treated a falling blood sugar a couple days ago without texting me and they caught it at 80. Nice. Yay. And I was, it's some parents might, yes, some parents might not like that, but I loved it. I was like, yeah. that is exactly it. Cause as I've said before, the goal with school is if there's ever an earthquake and I can't get to her for 48 hours that they know how to keep her alive. Right. And that yeah. tells yes. me they know how to keep her alive. So they're, they're, they're partners with it. you in all of it. What you two are doing is amazing. Raquel, Amanda, this is, uh, it's priceless. The help that you guys give, the advice, the listening, the understanding, please keep doing this because it's, it's needed. We need it. Thank, Thank you, you, Neil. So and much, same Neil. for you. Where Thanks. can everyone find you? Uh, it's the Beaties. Um, it's <laughs> at the Beaties. It's just on, I mean, that's, that's on Instagram. It's the dot Beaties on TikTok. And then okay. there's, there's YouTube and why Facebook? I don't know. I don't care. Yeah. I don't really even check it. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn. <We're over>. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, we will put your Instagram and TikTok and anything else that you want us to include in the show notes so everyone can find you. Thank and you. if you haven't yet, be sure to check out the series that Neil and Amanda did together all about caregiver burnout and yeah. so many good things. It's most of the videos I think are on both of our Instagram accounts. You can find them there. It's good. Yes. Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening and we will see you next time. Bye. <laughs>